0: welcome to the reach the stars podcast a collection of conversations with cool people who do cool things brought to you by papercraft miracles each week we'll bring you inspiring stories of persistence passion and purpose with your host jonna willoughby moore
1: Welcome to the Reach the Stars podcast. I am your host, Johnna Willoughby-Lore, and with me today is Coach Josh Greco. He is a MindScan certified business coach for individuals and leadership teams, and with over a decade of business development experience in logistics and construction industries, Josh brings a passion to develop people professionally, personally, and spiritually. That is such a LinkedIn bio
2: right there. Welcome
1: to the show.
2: Thank you so much. That's where it came from. It came from LinkedIn, so I'm not ashamed of it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because sometimes people send me bios and they're like, so-and-so is a a super happy D&D player and like have all this other stuff. And then there's like my LinkedIn bio. (laughs) So professional. So welcome to the show, Josh. Uh, We've had a couple of conversations at this point, and I am excited to uh, pick your brain instead of you picking my brain. So Welcome. Can you tell everyone a little bit more about you and where you come from and the you that is not the LinkedIn bio?
2: (laughs) Sure, yeah, I'll give you the real me here. With the real Josh, please stand up. Uh, I think it's best to uh, summarize the past 10 years. That's where my life seems to have started or at least been significant for me or intentional, I guess, might be the word. Uh, So 2011, I departed Western New York um, for Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, one year after graduating from SUNY Fredonia, just ventured out to explore what I didn't like in the world and also what I did like. I wanted to kind of find my my sweet spot, my passion. And I, I, I liked a lot of things up until that point, most of which surrounded sports. But I wanted to see what else without, was out there. So um, I figured the best way to do that was to separate myself from everything that I knew and everybody that I knew. And I moved to Charlotte, having known one person who moved back to New York just a couple months after I moved down to Charlotte. So I was left to fend for myself. And the last 10 years have been full of, oh man, just adventure and courage and bravery and excitement and everything along the way that you can imagine going into a new city and and developing a new life there. So uh, those past 10 years have been spent in the business development in a couple of different fields and most recently diving in full uh, to be a full-time business coach these last couple of years, starting in 2019. And that's where I am today. Awesome.
1: So how did you get into doing business coaching in the first place?
2: So I always knew that there was a better way to do things than that, which companies ran their, their businesses and operated, uh, especially big corporations. Now it's funny because I, I tend to stay away from coaching those types of, 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 uh, demographics because it's just too hard to get in and, and it's just too there's too much red tape there and I can make a, a bigger difference more quickly with the small to mid-sized business owners but I just saw a gap between you know people clocking in and clocking out spending eight hours a day feeling like they had to be somebody else and just working for the man and making the paycheck and then figuring that they can go enjoy their life after hours or after they retire, it's just not good enough for me. I I guess that's me being part of the millennial generation, but I think uh, pursuing passions and your purpose and aligning it with what you do every day is something that uh, just made so much sense to me. And I saw so many people not doing that. And that's what led me to to do that. So I had to discover what that was for myself because I certainly was a victim of that for a period of time while I explored and while I gained experience in, in business and business development. Um, but that became clear to me what I had to do. And now i help other people do the same thing.
1: That's cool. So I, I really love I mean, it's funny because the reason that I started my own business is because I saw my parents who had all these creative passions that they love to do, but they never figured out how to do any of them for money. And they ended up every day saying, oh, I have to go to work today. And then they never had any time for the stuff they really enjoyed doing. And I was like, well, I don't know what I want to do as when I'm grown up, but I know I don't want that. And I don't know, I guess in some ways I'm like a great big kid because I'm like just playing in my studio and having fun all day, almost all day long. So I think
2: that's how it should be. That's, that's the way it should be, because then you're living in that spot to where you're providing value for other people. And it's just so easy to you. Like, that's how, that's how it should be. That's when everybody's happiest and there's, it doesn't mean there's no stress, but it means that you're aligned with your, you know, what, what you're calling is. it. And, and I, I realize there's a risk in using words like that, but I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. You know, I, in the bio, I purposely put in, you know, something about spirituality because that's part of the journey of what we do and, and who we are and who we become and how we grow as people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know so much of that is how we spend our time and if we're spending our, our time working for somebody or doing something that we don't love then that's just wasting your life in my opinion why don't why not spend it on something that you can you actually enjoy and then also but it be okay to make really good money doing it if you if you work in a passionate way and provide super high value for people people pay good money for that that's okay too
1: exactly um, and especially for me being in a creative field it's like there's there's so much kind of, I don't know, stigma, I guess, around how dare you make money doing something that you really enjoy, or how dare you make money making art? You know, isn't that what people do? You know, go do arts and crafts, (laughs) whatever. Um, And I think that just people get stuck in that starving artist mentality, that if you do something that you enjoy, you shouldn't get paid really well for it, you know? And I don't know. I try to tell people who say that about artists to be like, well, why don't you tell that to the guy who plays football? Cause he really loves what he does and he gets paid quadrillions of dollars. And nobody bats an eye about that ever. You know, how many artists do you know that are making like millions and millions of dollars or like contracted in every year to make millions of dollars, making amazing art and, and providing that to people for entertainment, you know, aside from, I guess, so there's a lot of people who don't recognize acting as an art form like that. And so they don't, they are like, oh, well, movie stars could get paid like that. But if you're a visual artist or, you know, musicians and actors, but get paid really well, be a famous ones anyway, for what they do. But um I think that in general like visual arts or or high-end craft type things don't really fit into that. And they there's this, I don't know, oh look, aren't you so cute making your art? You
2: know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think it kind of goes to, it. if you do anything enough, you, you can become really good at it. And then, and then money shows up in ways or forms that you never knew possible. Yes. And I know that just from talking to you, you have a pretty cool story about what happened quite recently when, when that happened. That was because you were prepared for it, or you've been putting in so much work for it that people noticed your work and noticed your talent and ability. Mm-hmm. When I think about a football player, man, like to get to that level, to earn those millions, you know what those guys have to go through. It's just like, that is their life. That's all they, they do. Yeah, um, they don't do anything except play football. Exactly, and work out, and take care of their bodies, and eat meals, like, it's all surrounded around the vision that they see for themselves, the very best for themselves, it's the same thing for an artist, it's the same thing for anything else, there are, and when you see that person on the field, there's decades of work that have gone into that, I, I think there's a quote, like, you know, uh, you become an an overnight success after 10 years of hard work or something like that. I may have of that, but you notice it it overnight and it happens all of a sudden, but there's like so much behind it. And it's the same for an artist. Like uh, another one of my favorite quotes is success leaves clues, right? So Pablo Picasso, for example, he was a starving artist for how long? And then all of a sudden he's, you know, one of the most popular artists in the world. So just doing over and over the thing that you love to do and knowing that if you do it for the right reasons and there's value there, the right thing will happen. And if that means money, it means money. If it means something else, it means something else, but if you're doing it for the right reason, the universe will take care of you.
1: Yeah. I mean, I totally believe that. I, ever since I was 19, I was like, I'm going to do this someday it's happening. And I'm just going to keep putting one little book in front of the next, <laughs> I'm like putting them out yeah. there and giving out all the business cards. And you never know who might take one.
2: Yeah, I don't know how else to describe that other than, like, your spiritual journey. Like, that was the same for me, the pull to Charlotte. I couldn't explain it to my family and my friends. It was just something I had to do, and I would be more uncomfortable if I didn't do it. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that might be the same for you. Like, it would have been more uncomfortable not to do that, even though it was, there was uncertainty, and you didn't know how it would turn out, and if it could be good or how good it could be. But you had to do it. It was something that you had to do. And I would welcome your listen to this. Like, what is that for you? Think about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny because we actually have a really similar experience on that because I, when I graduated high school, went to North Carolina to go to college um, outside Asheville, not too far from Charlotte. And I ended up going to this school, this teeny tiny little school, and there might have been like two or three people from New York State and there was nobody from Buffalo there um, or anywhere near, like I didn't know a single person that went to school there, not one. And I just showed up there and I was like, Hey people, (laughs) who's cool. Let's hang out. And the school was so awesome. And it was just like everybody who went there was cool and totally changed my life. And I was hesitant to do it because my mom was not really well at the time. And I knew that if I was going to go, I mean, I was going to not be able to be there for her and take care of her. And She was like, just go, you do it because I don't wanna be the reason that you don't get to go do that. And it did feel shitty for me to kind of feel like I was abandoning my mom's where like, she would have needed me and I wouldn't be there. And my brother was graduating college when I became a sophomore, he was going to be done with college. So there was that one year overlap where both of us were away at college and he was in long Island. So he was also far away from her. And she was kind of all, all by herself for that year. Um, and it definitely was hard for me to, I don't know, feel like that was to not feel guilty about that. But as soon as I set foot on the campus, I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. You know, I'm like the freaking ground sparkles in Asheville. There's so much mica, it's like in all of the sidewalks everywhere, and it like literally glitters when you walk around in the sunshine. I mean, wow. I was meant to be there. <laughs> you
2: know? It's so special. Yeah, well, so I talk so much about environment in my coaching practice. You know, we're a product of our environment We're, Probably most like the five people we spend, you know, the most time around. But it's it's like that. It was like that for me for my move to Charlotte. I had to just set reset an environment to where I can just start over. And not that I had to, I you know, I felt strongly that I needed to get away from anything. It was just like I wanted a fresh start to just choose everything. It sounds like it's similar for you. Like you knew. You'd be in the spot to there are certain things about it that were attractive to you, but that it would be uncomfortable. But that was part of the draw to it of like, let's just let's just do this and start and and see what happens with it. And it sounds like something great happened for each of us.
1: Oh, it was amazing. I hands down would not be where I am had that I not gone to school there. I mean, <laughs> the four years I spent at Warren Wilson, Ooh, just to say that they're formative, I don't even know. What, like that doesn't even scratch the surface of what the experience was at that college. It was just something. Else. It was like summer camp with classes, like the most, yeah. the most fun that I have ever had in my life. at Just really, really intensely studying only the things that I gave a shit about for four years. And, you know, Get, I had a crazy scholarship too. So it was almost free for me to go there. It was cheaper for me to go all the way to North Carolina and live on campus and go to this private school. than it would be for me to live at home and go take the bus and go to UB. Wow. So that's I was good. like, i doing
2: that, you know, and your mother heard it, heard the passion in your voice. That's why she was okay with like, Oh, you got to do this. You have to do this. It's crazy. Cause
1: there, there's people grow up in different ways, obviously. Right. And at my house, I don't know if it was like this at your house, but at my house, it was like when we were growing up at, you know, throughout all three of the houses that I lived in, um, it was just kind of like every night. It was like you wash your hands, you brush your teeth, you go to college. <laughs> like, if you're not going to college, you better have a damn good plan of what you're going to do instead. And it was just very much ingrained that there really wasn't another option Um And so when I went away to school, I was like, well, I really like writing. So I guess I'm going to go and try to get, try to go somewhere that I can do poetry and do writing. And the school that I ended up going to when, after I took my SATs and all the colleges start sending you all the insane amounts of pamphlets that show up outs your house and the school I ended up going to sent one that said they had a creative writing scholarship and my mom found it among the, all of these brochures and she showed it to me the one day She's like, you got to check this school out this looks really cool they have this creative writing scholarship you should send them some of your poems and I was a typical teenager I was like what are you talking about like my poems aren't that good I, I can't I can't fill that out I'm not doing it and I was a total asshole about it and I didn't submit any poems but I was like, well, you know, which ones of my poems are good. You pick them and you send it in. And she did. And I won it. Wow. And so the day that she called me after she got the letter in the mail and she opened it and was like, oh my God, not only did you get into this school, but they're giving you pretty much a free ride to go there. Like you got this scholarship and a whole bunch of other scholarships. And it was only going to cost me $500 a semester to go to school. Yeah. <laughs> And for my mom, who was broke as shit and worked like five part time jobs to barely pay some of our bills and was like consistently in a lot of debt and never had time to cook anything or buy the foods that she really thought were healthy. It was like we had iceberg lettuce and like the whole carrots because we were not affording the baby carrots. (laughs) Like That was the extent of our vegetables and shit like that. And you know to be growing up in a house where it was always that in that scarcity mindset and that i figured i would never be able to afford going to school without taking massive amounts of loans and stuff like that and i don't know it was just really wild to have that happen and she was like you just got to go and my mom had been sick for a really long time and she didn't take care of herself very well and she didn't have medical insurance so she never went to the doctor when she should have and it was hard as a kid to kind of feel like I was responsible for parenting my parent in a lot of ways. Cause she just sucked at adulting. And the older I get and the more diagnosed with ADHD I get, I realized that she also had it. And that was a huge reason why she could not put things in the right order and say, okay, I need to do this, this, and this. And she wasn't very good at that kind of stuff, but was just so brilliant in so many other ways. So. I don't know. It's it's given me a lot of insight into my life and it was stressful. And I remember feeling relieved that when I went away to college, I could just go and like, like you said, kind of start from scratch and reinvent myself. And I wouldn't have to be that kid that was taking care of their parent. And my house was like a crazy hoarder house. And I was like, I get to have my own room that only has my shit in it. And I get to bring only what I want to put in it and like clean it and organize it however I want. I mean, that was that was huge for me, and it was. I felt shitty about feeling really excited and happy about that, but I got over it because it was really fun. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, it just goes to to our what we mentioned earlier about we we are a product of our environment. So for for you to know that growing up and to want to want to explore other things, that was that was my situation too. So um, just to know what else was out there, what what else is possible? Like I, I felt like growing up in the bubble that I did not That I was super sheltered, but comparatively to the world, maybe I was or, or we were, but to, there's so many things out there. There's so many great people. There's, there's a whole world of possibilities for what we can explore. And to grow up experiencing what we experienced for me it was, you know, maybe around college age where I started to realize the sacrifices my parents made to give me what I had, which was you know, a pretty good upbringing and a pretty good life, but also that it was very structured in certain ways. And then i like, you're saying there's expectations of you just, you just do this to get to this level and you do this. But then mm-hmm. it was like, how do you break free from that or what, what else is there out there? And that's, that was my Charlotte journey for myself. And kind of like what you're saying, I never could have imagined my life without it. It was something I had to do and here we are today.
1: Yeah. It's it's weird. Cause I definitely, there's, there were people in my family who saw me going away to college like that as kind of a selfish thing. Yeah. A lot of judgment. I definitely did too. And yeah. it's just hard. Cause I I've been thinking about this a lot and I think I actually talked about it in the last podcast that I recorded, but, um, just, just thinking about life in terms of when you fly on an airplane and they're like secure your own mask before helping others. And there's some people who would think of like it's really hard for them to think about being on an airplane in that situation and that you don't put your mat put masks on your kids before yourself. And I'm like, no, that's I mean you have to remember that you you only have your life. And yes, I have kids. My kids are awesome, and of course I love them, and I would do anything for them. But it doesn't mean that um, taking care of myself and doing what I need to do for me is not always going to be. The top priority in my life, and
2: I think you're, it's, you're not used to them dead. If you're dead, you can't be there for them, right? Exactly. You and
1: you know, physically dead, emotionally dead, dead inside, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, I was having this, this conversation with somebody last night, and um, she's way more traditional than me, much older than me. Um, and she was a stay-at-home mom when she had kids, and she's very, I don't know opinionated about her way of parenting and it's just so strange that there are these I don't know societal pressures and judgments put on women especially mothers who decide that they would rather work during the day than spend the whole day with their kids Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and that if you don't love hanging out with your kids 24 hours a day then you must be a shitty parent and if you don't You know, if you work, if you stay at home with the kids and you don't work then you suck because you don't have any income and all the work that you do to run the household and take care of the kids all day long is totally not valuable. And it's definitely something that I struggle against for with myself and in my family and in my life that um, I love my work. And because I have ADHD, I can get really hyper focused on working and not other things. Um, because I get really drawn in and sucked into the things that I love most. And I don't know, it can be really hard when you love something, you know, you're just so passionate about something like that, that it can, can take over other parts of your life, at least temporarily. And I don't know, I do still see it in some ways as being selfish, but you know, how could I, how could I not do that? How could I not do what I love when it's right there?
2: I don't know. yeah so my takeaway from what you just said is you know if you're a full-time parent there'd be pe- there'd be professionals who would judge you and like why, why aren't you doing what you love and if you do too much of your work there's there's mothers out there saying why weren't you being so it just tells me it's a it's a winless game like you an external validation of your happiness or what you've chosen to do is it's just not going to work so you have to do what's right for you and mm-hmm. whoever's going to hate you or judge you for it, from what I've learned, at least, that is their journey to deal with. They're they're on something that, you know, I, I believe we're all in each other's lives for a purpose. And if if I'm in a, another person's life to maybe be strong and stand up for myself and tell them that this is why I'm doing this, this is why I've made these decisions, maybe it empowers them to feel the same way. Maybe I'm the first person that they've encountered that has chosen that path and been super confident about it and just put up middle fingers to the world and been like, this is, this is what I'm gonna do. This is who I am. This feels most right to me. And I found that as uncomfortable as that may be in the moment afterwards, a lot of people are like, Oh yeah, that's, that's a good point. And sometimes they follow suit and, and it inspires them to do that for themselves.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: don't know. Like a lot of times people say it out of concern for the kids that they might not be getting like the full, you know, rich, rich, parented experience and it it's it's hard because i i grew up with my my biological dad is like very 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 obsessed with his career and always has been he's a scientist he's done a lot of like really amazing huge breakthrough research discoveries in science and has like changed the face of a lot of things and in biophysics. And I mean, he was in the Guinness Book when I was a little kid for the work that he did. And I like, I remember that I didn't see him that often because he was always working, but then he would be doing these amazing things that changed the world when he went to work. And, you know, things, the research that he figured out, um, he's been working on developing a drug that could potentially treat muscular dystrophy for life. Mm. And he's been working on it for like 30 years. And he figured it all out by playing around with tarantula spider venom and like taking time when people were like what are you nuts and he was like i don't know i think there's something here and he's just spent literal decades figuring out like there is this protein if you use it in these ways and they figured out how to make it synthetically so they didn't have to like harvest it from animals and they figured that out and worked on it and You know, my dad was not around when I was a kid and I didn't live at his house all the time, but he wasn't around for the kids that did live in his house all the time. And he was like, well, I'm not so good at the dad thing, but I'm really good at this. So I'm going to do that. And it's just as his kid, sometimes I felt that it was selfish because he wasn't there. And the older I get, the more I know exactly how my dad felt like when we were little. And it's just... It's just interesting because when people look at him and they see his career, they're like, oh, look how amazing and accomplished and look at all his hard work. That's great. He's 80 years old. He's still working. Mm -hmm. Um, And that he pursued what he loved above anything else. And in some ways, I think that people, if a woman does the same thing, especially a mother does the same thing, she gets judged in a way that, a father wouldn't like you. You see the dad who works hard, and like a dad who's a traveling salesman. You know what I mean? Like, oh, look at him; he's working so hard to take care of his family, and good for him. And nobody ever says, "What the hell?" He's never home. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's hard. To, it's a that's a struggle for me to. For sure.
2: And to say nothing about, I'm sure there's other fathers out there who may you know it's just it's not as much of the stigma. But to point taken, and I guess what I would say to that is think of the perspective you have now to pass along to your kids. So, I don't, if you mind sharing what your kids' genders are, are they as a daughter? They, they are what? currently
1: identifying as boys. <laughs> we'll see if they, they're fully allowed to decide what they are, but for now they're boys. <laughs> they're, they very much act like boys, that's for sure.
2: But the perspective you have with your upbringing and what, what how you choose to raise them and balance that with your professional career, especially as they get older, you can share more with them more quickly. Like, that's what I believe evolution is, is. That I mean, we experience things that our parents never will. And it's the same with our kids, just because life is progressing and technology and all these things. But I think it's our job, uh, our generation's job, to pass along to the next generation information that we know, things that we've gathered that are maybe, I don't wrong is the, the judgment form of the word that I would like to use, but something that could be better or that there could be a better balance of maybe. So not that your dad should have not pursued what he did cuz it's so important but what is the balance what, what is the the most minimal form of what maybe you needed growing up and you can do that for your kids right now and you can also teach them for their kids and it's just this progressive informational track that we're getting smarter and more intelligent and more experienced as we go as a civilization so I don't know if that's too uh, too weird or zoomed out for you but that's the way I think about things
1: no i think it's good i mean i i I try to instill in my kids that I don't, I don't want them to graduate college and then work a job they hate for the rest of their lives. Like I
2: don't, that won't be the norm anymore. It won't be.
1: I mean, yeah. I just, I don't want that for them. And obviously like every parent doesn't want their kids to struggle. They want it to be easier for their kids than it was for them. And, um, I think that my husband and I have done a pretty good job at this point, like setting our kids up for success, but the way that he and I were raised is very different. And I was raised by a single mom most of the time. And she was working five part-time jobs and she was broke as hell. And she certainly was not coming home from her 14 hours of work and every day and like sitting on the floor and playing Legos. Like she just wasn't doing that. And she was exhausted. And my brother and I were home alone a lot. I learned to be very independent and could fend for myself and make myself dinner by the time I was six, you know, like I knew how to do that. And While I don't want my kids to have that same experience, I personally find so much value in my life of being able to take care of myself and being independent and being able to take care of myself is like a huge part of me. And I know that a lot of that is like trauma response from being a kid that was forced to do that. And so I want my kids to learn to be independent and to pursue the things that they love regardless of what other people tell them and you know I still also don't want them using the stove yet <laughs> my oldest is 6 years old so you know I think about the fact that I did use the stove completely and totally unsupervised my brother was 3 years older but I was better at cooking stuff so I would cook stuff at 6 and I think about would I trust my kid to turn the stove on if I wasn't home or would I leave my kid home alone with an 8 year old no but You know, it's so I don't I don't want them to be as independent as I was. I don't want them to be forced into it. But I love that my kid knows how to pour his own cereal. And it's like if he gets up in the morning and I'm still asleep, he makes himself breakfast and gets breakfast for his little brother. And they leave me alone if I'm sleeping. And I think that's awesome. But, you know, there's there's definitely that old school way of thought as to how you should be a mother and the mother should sacrifice everything for the sake of the children and it doesn't matter if you want to sleep in you should get the fuck up early and like get your shit together and and be that cheery ass mom that makes fucking muffins you know and I'm like I don't, I don't want to like I don't you know sometimes I want to make muffins but not at 6am you know I'm like that's never going to be me and I don't know it's hard to fight against that
2: yeah make those fucking muffins <laughs> <laughs> well it, it just i think we're we're circling the same concept here of <laughs> of uh like doing what we want to do right we, we know yes. what's best for us yes. if there's a level this is maybe what i've learned in my journey is that if there are these negative emotions or feelings then there's something for me to learn from them if, if i feel guilty if i feel ashamed if i feel frustrated usually those are the blinking indicators for something that's really good on the other side of it if i figure it out so i've learned to be really curious with my emotions Mm -hmm. and whenever something gets caught in my filter so to speak to use a term from untethered soul i don't know if you've ever read that book i love that book um just this idea that we go we, we live life right so we drive down the street and there's things that come and go into our vision that we just never think about again you know trees roads cars for whatever reason, there's certain stuff that just sticks in our brain. Now, it seems like those are more important things, but why? Why are they more important? And that's the exploration of that. Like, why do I feel this guilt of being a mother and doing what I want? Um, With the balance of raising my kids the way you've even mentioned it, that I believe that we've done a good job raising our kids. So there's a reason that you're feeling that guilt, and it's the exploration of that process uh, to learn something more about you and your upbringing and, and your perception of things, because the way we see the world is only made up of of what we've been through ourselves. And that's the spiritual journey that we all are on because we're the only ones who have experienced that for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with you Mm -hmm. and with me and other people uh, who might be watching this. You have your own individual stuff that no one will ever know what you're going through. And then people just kind of stick you in these groups of people and expect you to follow along or be like that person. It's just not how it works. We're all on this different thing, but we're all in it together at the same time. It's this weird, cool dichotomy of how we navigate life, I think.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of this thing that I, I learned about in college um, where as a humanity, we have this dichotomy, the two halves, you know, the yin and yang or whatever. Um, but the, the two things are never completely and totally separate. So like, yes, there are two. It's more than one, but it's actually less than two. You know what I mean? And, and I, I think there's that kind of duality in everything.
2: It's it's one of my favorite topics right now. The past three weeks I've been journaling about yin and yang like crazy because judgment is, is not yin and yang to me. It's like either this or it's this. And the yin and yang just represents the energies of a spectrum. And I think of it like if we uh, feel guilty or uh, a certain way about something, the pendulum is just way to one side. So we have to figure out what the opposite energy is to bring it back and we want to get to a place to where we don't have these wild swings back and forth, but where we're kind of finding that balance. And that's what, you know, that's what Taoism is about. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever read, um, what's that Taoist book, something like that, where, uh, yeah, it's just like this wisdom after wisdom, after wisdom, page after page, after page of like, Oh my gosh, I've never thought of it like that, but it's all these balances of energies. And I think that's, That's all it is. That's all we go through. So when we feel super crazy, in a certain type of way, guilty, shameful, angry, what is the opposite of that? What do we not feel? And then how do we get that? Where where, where do we go to get that and how do we get to this middle place? Because we also don't want to feel all of the opposite. We don't want to feel just peaceful all the time because we'll never be motivated to do anything. We'll be a pushover. We'll be walked on. Mm -hmm. So there's this, we want, we're constantly swinging back and forth with all these different yin and yangs that we experience and just identifying when we come across something that we feel too much to one side, figure out what the opposite is and try to get a little bit more of that to find the center of that. Exactly. So, yeah.
1: Yes, yes. It just reminded me that I got I need to do my annual read of my favorite book. Dr. King? <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's, it's on a similar wavelength, but it's called The Way of the Peaceful Warrior by Dan Millman. Mm. It's awesome. I read it when I was, I think, a sophomore in college. And I've read it every single year since wow. then. it's every single time I read it, it totally changes my life, even though I know exactly what's going to happen. in it, um,
2: uh, well, but yeah, yeah it's, it's, a warrior, right? it's two opposites that you you're both though, right. Your elements of both.
1: Yeah. It's a really good one. Everyone should check that out. So I don't want to bogart this whole thing. Tell us some, some stories about you and your spiritual journey and and who are you outside of being a coach and,
2: yeah, tell us about something. Right. Uh something. well what's
1: that? Something we don't know about you. Yeah.
2: So I guess I'm one of the people who um really took advantage of the COVID situation, just a very negative situation where there's a lot of suffering. But uh I took that time to look internal for what I really wanted, who I thought I was, and spent a lot of time meditating and just a lot of time by myself exploring and um I have found a lot of answers that way and not answers with like aha moments and this and that, but just, it's progressive. There's always more to learn about myself, about what, what I'm working towards. And it was hand in hand with the coaching that I do. So it's, it's a super alignment with uh, knowing that I'm on the right path and then providing as much value for people as possible and then uh, finding or navigating the challenges along the way. So that's the gist of the past couple of years, but I'm, I can tell you that today as I stand here, I'm just I'm in a, a great spot. I just love my life and what I do. And there's I, I can feel it's the combination of living in the moment and living every day and even the challenges, but also knowing I'm building something that the further I go into the future, the more I'll realize it and the better it feels to have more time and fun and money. It's, those are the three th- things that I want. I want autonomy for, to do the things I want to do and spend it with the people that I, I love and want to be around. And I want to have financial freedom in order to be able to do those things. So it's all working towards this, this bigger thing while also promoting the greater good and helping other people in order to, to achieve that myself. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I can share with you that um, so Pro Advisor Coach is a company that I work for. And when I met the CEO, his name is Rich Campy a couple of years ago, it was just one of those those connections that I realized I had, I had to be around him more. And what he was building Uh, the mission of the company is to bring relief and eliminate suffering in the workplace. So I was just like, I had never heard of that before, but it was totally in alignment with what I believed in all along. I just didn't never put it in those words. And Mm -hmm. then to find like a whole army of coaches that he was building behind that, that there's other people that think and believe the way that I do um, was is super cool and it goes back to the environment thing. So now I'm surrounded these past two years by other coaches who want the best for themselves and the best for others and recognize it only comes when you help others around you. So it's this company culture of just the best of the best, wanting the best of the best for other people and to bring in as many people as possible into the network of coaches, but then also as clients and help people in their businesses too. So it's been a really fun last couple of years here.
1: That's awesome. Uh, tell us something that we just like have that would nobody knows.
2: <laughs> so this is it's kind of not really about me, but I think uh I think it'll still be cool. I think you'll still get uh, it'll still be valuable. So part of a coaching tool that I use that I'm in love with that I've mentioned a little bit is called the mind assessment. And there's tons of assessments out there. There's disk assessment and Myers Briggs, and um they're all valuable in their own ways. This, this one is unique, at least in my perspective, because it was created with the idea in mind that um, in order to get new results and to, to do things that we love and to, to achieve things that we want to achieve, we have to take the right actions. And in order to take action, it all starts with our thinking. So this assessment is all around measuring our thoughts, which is such a crazy idea, right? But there's a scientist who actually discovered a way to do this. His name is Dr. Robert Hartman. And he worked, he spent decades of his life dedicated to studying what's called formal axiology. So it's just the study of of value systems and what we value over another thing. And that's all life is. No matter what we do in our daily lives, brushing our teeth, we're making a decision that we value hygiene over not having hygiene, right? And having good breath over not having good breath, all the way to bigger decisions of what we're doing with our lives. So he discovered a way, and it's this 10 to 15 minute assessment. It's, it's nothing crazy, it doesn't take a lot of time. And the way you structure statements in order from least to greatest tells us about what you're prioritizing in your thinking and what might be on the back burner or what you're ignoring. And it, it's like a gateway to what is actually gonna help you achieve what you want in your business. And I think it's so cool, and if I could sum it up, I know that was somewhat, maybe a little bit esoteric, but this is, this is what he discovered. Is that there's three pillars of so think of it like three primary colors that all other colors derive from the same with our thoughts so and those thoughts are what he called relator doer thinker so think of that like people and actions and process and in business there's really nothing like anything you can think about in business it goes into those categories about making relationships it's about taking action and innovating and solving problems for people And then it's about scaling and having black and white and systemic processes and procedures so that your employees know what they're doing and know what to expect in the company. So as a person, as a business owner, as an individual, you either prioritize people or actions or process. And that is a great strength of yours. But meanwhile, there's something else that might be lacking or lagging behind that. And it's a visual depiction of what these what what your results are depict on the, on the summary screen. And it has very intuitive information for what that says about you. So I just, I want to share that with, with you and with everybody who's listening, because I think it's so cool. It's so powerful to know that kind of stuff. And then when we see the results, it's like, I, I think I knew that, but I've never seen it expressed this way. And then it opens up the, the conversation to be had about how best to move forward. So I think it's such a cool and our company owns the rights to it. So that's, that's the last caveat. I think you can find it online for like $500 or something like that, but it's uh, something that we offer for free to anybody who's looking to, you know, grow as an individual and learn more about themselves.
1: Cool. So when you took it, what, what was your
2: focus? Oh, great question. So I, I scored very high in the people part. Um, and I learned that that was good in a way because i that's my greatest strength is connecting to people and understanding their stories and learning where they're coming from and I've always been that way but also it, there's a flip side to everything so a risk for me was shying away from tougher conversations um, valuing other people's thoughts and feelings and, and opinions so much that I wouldn't want to harm them even though I might shield them from what might be best for them the simplest version of that, and you might recognize this as a business owner, if you have to fire an employee, mm-hmm. or how about this one? So your, your kid wants chocolate right before bed, right? So you actually you actually have to lower your empathy to tell your, your kid no, because it's in their his best interest not to have the chocolate, not to have the candy, mm-hmm. right? So you're you're actually putting aside the way he feels about it, because it's in his best interest. So I had difficulty doing that in business and in life and just having tougher conversations with people and you can imagine what that might be like if you were high action oriented or high structure it's really good we can use those things but the flip side is you know what what is the risk of being so highly oriented in those dimensions
1: mm-hmm. oh no i'm curious i'm i'm pretty sure that i am like very similar um although i have no problem telling my kid that he can't have any candy i'm like me bouncing off the walls nope <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh. Yeah, so each dimension means something, but it's to it's the external world, so people uh, actions process in everything that we do, but then people actions process internally is like our self-empathy and the roles that we play and the direction that we have for ourselves. So it's really cool to see, you know, just circles on a, on a plotted line, but it, it means so many different things. Really cool uh, assessment.
1: So, do you find it harder to coach yourself for your own business than it is to coach other people?
2: One hundred and fifty percent, absolutely. <laughs> I, I have a coach myself because I, if I really believe in it, and this is this is why I think everybody should have coaches, is because you're you're in the game, you're playing on the field every day. Why, why do NFL players have coaches, right? Like they could go play the game, they need somebody on the sideline that sees everything. They can pull it back. They, they can assess things and they can give pointers for how to become better. So hundred percent, I, I have a general idea of where I'm going and what I need to do, but I can get caught up in, in life. And because it is my life, I'm so zoomed in on what I'm doing. I need that, that outside, you know, perspective. And I think everybody does. I think everybody can benefit from it.
1: I hear that. I love my coaches. <laughs> uh-huh. yep. All right. So before we run out of time, at the end of all of my shows, I ask all the guests the same five questions. So it's five question time. What? Okay. Um, kind of like a lightning round, but there there is no pressure to answer them very quickly. If you don't want to. Um, so number one, tell me about an experience or a single moment that changed and shaped who you are
2: today. So I'll give you the first couple of months that I moved to Charlotte because I thought I was going to move here, and it would just be a breeze, and it was not. So I had six months of teller experience at m t bank in Buffalo before I moved down, and I was moving to the banking capital of the u s. There's Wells Fargo here and Bank of America and Fifth third and all these different companies. and I interviewed at a couple of them, made it decently far, but never landed at the job that I wanted. So it became crunch time when my savings started to run out and I had to take a job in the services industry at a restaurant. And I thought that was so far beneath me at the time. But looking back, it was exactly what I needed.
1: Cool. All right. Number two, when you feel defeated or overcome, what do you tell
2: yourself to keep going? Ooh, this is good. This is what I've been working on for the last couple of years. Defeated and overcome. I would say I've reframed that. I've, I, it's been a muscle of mine to reframe that when I feel that way, it means I'm about to have a breakthrough. There's something on the other side. There's a reason I'm experiencing this because I've been desiring a higher level or a greater life. And this is exactly the challenge that is coming to me to figure out. And it's always a new challenge or something that I don't know how to figure out, but it's always something that I know I have the resources to tap into to figure it out.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Awesome. Mm I've not had that answer yet. (laughs) Okay, number three, tell me about a way that you overcame a failure or a mistake and what you learned from it.
2: Hmm. Overcame a failure or mistake. So I would say another, this could also be an answer for question number one, but uh, a turning point when I went to college, I mentioned sports. I played baseball. Being a baseball player was who I was. And I went to a liberal arts college to try to walk on a division three baseball team. And I actually got cut from the team. So I wasn't tied to the school and decided to transfer out and try to go play baseball at another school. And I got cut from a second team. And that was just like devastating to me because that's who I was. It's the only thing I knew that I wanted to do in college. I didn't know what I wanted to study, but I knew I wanted to play baseball so how did I overcome that? I went to the coach's office the next day and she said, look, I, I know I'm good enough to be on the team. I will do whatever it takes. I just want to be a part of this. I'll, I'll prove to you that I belong here. And uh, he said, you can be a bullpen catcher. So for anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's like the scrubbiest job with the baseball team. It, it was technically a roster spot, but I would never be guaranteed to see the light of day or to play on the field. And I was basically just helping out behind the scenes. Um, doing the grunt work um, that that a freshman might do, um, if you're familiar with college sports. So I did that. And I guess to make a long story short, before the end of the year, I was starting in games and league games. And the the year after that, I was the uh, full time starter for the baseball team. So that was a huge accomplishment that was followed directly uh, after a huge failure or, or a huge challenge in my life and I, I could have walked away from that and it could have affected me for the rest of my life but i didn't allow it to
1: so you're a, i don't take no for an answer kind of person
2: <laughs> 100% and you can see that in my my journey to charlotte as well <laughs> okay i'm going to find a way going to find a way
1: number 4 what one trait or habit is most responsible for keeping you on track
2: mm-hmm. i discovered uh, something called the miracle morning a couple months ago have you ever heard of that
0: Mm-mm.
2: So I was already practicing good habits and figuring out how to tap into that. And I discovered a, almost a science to it and came across this podcast and they mentioned this miracle morning. So what is it? It's just this commitment to getting up really early. So I get up at 4 a.m. every day. So therefore I go to bed very early 9 a, or 9 p.m. And before 7 a.m., I've done my favorite, most productive things of the day. It's so when I do my meditating. It's when I do yoga. It's when I work out. It's when I read and it's when I write. And it sounds like a lot to squeeze into three hours, but there's no emails. There's no phone calls. There's no TV. There's no radio. There's no distractions at that time of day. It's just a super peaceful time to really prioritize what's important and put put my money where my mouth is. So if these things are really the most important important to my development, do it every day. And it's just compounded. Like I get a lift from doing it uh, one day I get a huge lift from doing it for the entire week and I've done it now for like six months in a row and I'm just living in the zone. I'm so focused on what I'm doing and things are developing around me. And it's because I'm really focused on these most important things.
1: That's awesome. I am not getting up before. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, <not> for <laughs> yeah, it's, I used to work a job and I, I was the assistant manager over at a gas station so, I had to open the store every Saturday and every Sunday and every holiday. And I had to be there at 5 30. And it was terrible. Like every single time that I did it, it was terrible. <laughs> Cause I am a late night person. I mean, I would, I would much rather have my, my solitude and my productivity between the hours of like 1 a.m. and three. Oh, wow. Or midnight and three, you know, just like be up in the middle of the night when, It's dark and it's quiet, but nobody's around, but it's, I need to have been awake for a long time in order to get there. Mm -hmm. I think it takes me a while to kind of slow my mind back down to be in that, in that zone.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't know. People who wake up in the morning and are just like awake right away. I'm like, how do you do that? I can't
2: can't do it. I think for for me, it's the, it's kind of the opposite. It's it's starting with your mind in a slow space, which is what I like. Like I can, I can go at my own pace and maybe I do the meditation first, which is a slow mind pace activity. So, uh, but yeah, it's uh, you got to find your balance and what, what works for you. And if you're a night owl and you're up till three, certainly a 4 a.m. bedtime or a wake up time is just not going to work for you.
1: Yeah. I mean, since I have kids, I can't really be up till three, but I find it really hard to shut my mind off and go to sleep before 1 a.m. at like the earliest and I have to just like get real tired before I even get better I'll just think about stuff all night long and not go to sleep at all so uh, but yeah when people are like oh just get up real early I'm like I love y'all nope (laughs) um but for those of you out there who uh do get up early and they're looking for something to do um that is more pro- productive with your early mornings. Like I think if you can do that, it sounds great.
0: Power
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, just a quick caveat. Like I was not an early riser. That was a, a huge challenge for me, but I've, I, I've become that. I can say today, like I, I am a morning person or whatever you want to say, but certainly at the time it was, it rocked my world. I was a 7am riser for 8am activities, but to be able to get out ahead of your day and to check off things that you don't have to worry about the rest of the day is just a, uh, I don't know. It has set my mind at ease. So there's certainly challenges for doing that. And I'm curious, like, I don't know. I'm wondering what that would be for you if you forced yourself to go to bed at 9 p.m. every day for like a week. And it would be super uncomfortable for you to do that It'd be super uncomfortable to wake up early. But what you could get accomplished in the early morning before before your kids wake up, before emails come in, before distractions come in. I don't know. Something to think about.
1: I don't know. (laughs) I don't even know if I like physically could go to sleep at 9 p.m. Like I usually only sleep for six hours at the most, so I'd be up at three anyway, and then I would be tired again by like nine o'clock in the morning, (laughs) feeling like I'm done now.
2: That's what surprised me the most is that I actually have more energy throughout the day. Now that didn't happen in the beginning, but that kind of leveled out. Like, I don't know. I don't know why that happens, but uh, I think it's just prioritizing. Like, I I actually get energy from those activities. I like doing those things. So think of doing your your favorite things just more often. That's the way I look at it
1: gives
2: me more energy I don't know I'm gonna Maybe
1: make try. It. It's, yeah. it's it's tricky when you get all hyper focused too because if you if like me if I get if I did get up really early and I got really into doing something and I would have to be stopping doing that to go like oh my kids are awake gotta go give them breakfast you know? and <laughs> all you know like I think it would be hard for me to like switch gears like that too mm-hmm. um I was like in a perfect world <laughs> in a perfect <laughs> world I would do it <laughs> Um, All right. Number five, what's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten and what advice would you give other people?
2: Let me start with the latter. So advice I would give other people is how we started off this conversation. Find out what that thing is for you. What is that passion? What is the stuff that you do that gives you energy that you could do for hours on end and just a link and the time just flies by? I think that is one of the secrets to life. And I think so much of our life, at least our childhood, is training us not to pursue that or to look at that as something that's wrong or, or not possible. And I think at least that's part of my life's mission is that that's possible for everybody. Uh, find out what that is for you and just get little doses of it in the beginning. If it doesn't make sense, die full in, then don't do it. But figure out a way to get a little bit more of that and just success is progressive. So just find the first rung of that ladder, do that thing and see, what, see where it leads you. Awesome. Advice that I've gotten nothing's sticking out here, so I'm kind of drawing a blank. Um, I don't know. I might have to end there. I, I don't want to leave everybody hanging without answering that question but I'm sure I've gotten great advice I think I've had mentors along the way. Um, I would have to say it's it's the coaches that I've had and it's the intertwining to making the spirituality a part of my journey that was something I always resisted because a so quick side note I grew up. You know, raised as a Catholic and I just I was turned off by so many things by what I had to do or the, the check boxes that I had to check to say that, that I did something and that I was in alignment with religion or spirituality. So to come back to and find my own spirituality after that was very difficult for me. So uh, the advice that I got was to to find what was important to me and what I actually believed in. Uh, regardless of what my perception of it was up until that point. So that's what i have to say about that.
1: Sounds good to me. I think that's pretty good advice that you, know, you can't, you can't have a whole journey without the whole person, I guess.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and what you've gone through is is helping shape who you are today. So what does that mean? Where, if, if you were to practice super awareness right now, what does that mean for you? What do you need the most? If you were to ignore something that you felt strongly about, what would it, what would the opposite look like? And vice versa, if you were to pursue something that you you really cared about, get more of that in your life.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, love it. I love it. <laughs> All right, well, that's my last question. Thank you for being on the show. Can you tell everybody where they can find you on the interwebs?
2: Absolutely. ProAdvisorCoach.com is the website. Uh, you can email me at Joshua at ProAdvisorCoach.com. If anybody wants to engage in the mind scan, I hope you do, Jonah. I feel like we're going to. Um, You can just email me. I'm happy to engage anybody, like I mentioned, for free. It's a $500 value, uh, even if coaching is not for you. But if you want to explore coaching, I'm open to having that discussion as well. Um, And then I have a few other things that are rolling out, uh, but they'll all be on the website. I have a master coach class coming out and also... um, a, a bit of a like entry or intro into coaching. If one-on-one coaching is not for you, we're going to do a, a virtual class as well, but it's all on the website.
1: Okay, cool. Well, we'll have links to all that in the show notes. Um, thanks so much for being here and dropping all the spiritual wisdom on everybody. Um, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to try and get up earlier. I like it. <laughs> maybe not be at four, but maybe, maybe a little earlier to at least, you know, have time to do some exercise before I have to hit the ground running with the children.
2: (laughs) I love it. Incremental progress. Incremental. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on.
1: It was fun. Awesome. So thanks everybody for hanging out with us on the Reach the Stars podcast. I have been your host, John O'Reilly-Lore, my guest, Josh Greco. And if you love this show, give us a little thumbs up on the YouTube, subscribe to the channel, and uh, give us a review on iTunes. But the best thing that you could do is to share it with a friend tell somebody that you like the show and that they should listen to it because that would be great. All right, y'all, we will see you next week on the reach the stars podcast. Have a good day, everybody. Bye. A single interaction has the power to change your life forever. This is a place for the stories of those moments, stories of pursuing dreams, overcoming tragedy and failure of coming back to life after so much of what feels like dying. Continuing on, with only a vision as a map, this is the place where those moments live on. Come sit by the fire, look up at the stars, and be
0: forever changed too. Thank you for being with us on the Reach the Stars podcast. Our theme music is generously provided by Craddock. You can find him on Bandcamp.com. Thank you to all of our current patrons, guests, and everyone else who helps make this dream a reality. We are so proud to be building this amazing community with all of you. If you love this podcast, please consider sharing with a friend, leaving a review on iTunes, and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash reach the stars. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the videos of these conversations. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, do something cool and tell us about it.